Greetings and salutations, true believers! Uh, yeah, so hey, Aaron, from the editing bay here. Um, you may recall that we had our first episode, which was a long-in, on uh, Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons' Watchmen. Uh, we left off that episode uh, with kind of the overall recap of where comics were at the time, uh, how the industry started, and yada yada yada. And uh, as this episode begins, we are picking up midstream in Johnny's recap of the plot of Watchmen. So strap in, because here we go! got the setup in the initial mystery rorschach he develops his mask killer theory sets out to warn and or recruit the four remaining superheroes uh through flashbacks we sort of learn more about who edward blake was the comedian his role in uh as a u.s government agent as a superhero and kind of what he means to everybody else in the sort of group, the Crime Busters, as they're called in the comics. Not the Watchmen. Thank you, Zack Snyder. You fucking dick. Um, <laughs> Did he change that in the movie? Yeah, he called yeah. them. He called the superhero group the Watchmen, which okay. completely removes any semblance of symbolism that Alan Moore was trying to put forward in calling okay. the book Watchmen, but not the superheroes Watchmen. Um, okay. Yeah, there's a lot of graffiti in the background. It says, who watches the Watchmen? Um, that's one of the main themes, which basically, you know, it comes from Latin, but essentially means who cops the cops, you know, who polices yep. the police, um, who actually, you know, if these are the guys in charge, well, who's in charge of that? You know what I mean? Um, recently, I'm sure a lot of people have watched uh, the Amazon series. I think it's Amazon. The Boys. I haven't watched. I was just it, gonna say yeah. this is exactly what that it's sounds exactly, like. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. The yeah. Boys kind of have taken this concept that's in Watchmen, and as a TV series, they're kind of like make furthering the story. I had the original series. It started, of course, as a comic book, um, and I had the first few issues, and I thought this this is too macho bullshit. So I. Um, that's anyway. my read on that creator yeah. mostly. So I, I forget like who did it. Is that Garth Ennis? I think it's Garth Ennis. I think it is too. Yeah. Yeah. And that's essentially, that's a lot. Who's yeah. also English. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's something about English comicers who really want to, they just want to be edgy all the time. Yeah. And this was definitely, <clears throat> you know, Alan Moore at his edgiest, but he at least had something to say. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another really big thing that we learn in the first act of the book is that the U.S. won the war in Vietnam because they uh, hired, essentially, uh, Dr. Manhattan. They sent him overseas to kill some Kongs, you know, kill the mm -hmm. Viet Cong, blow them up. A lot of explosions. Uh, he and Edward, he and comedian Eddie Blake um, 
are the two guys really from the crime busters who go overseas and fuck shit up. Um, because of this, Nixon, Richard Nixon, is still the president of the United States. Um, in the HBO miniseries, it's also mentioned, it's pointed out that Vietnam is annexed and has become the 51st state. Yep. Um, oh, they, took it, they took it a step further in the HBO series. But I'm not really going to talk about the TV series or the movie too, too much. Um, but anyway, suffice to say, Nixon is still the president. Uh, Vietnam is fucked. Uh, no communists there. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so it's a good time for everybody. And of course, we're talking 1986, so it's deep in the cold. Okay, Dr. Manhattan is doing all this kind of cool shit with technology. So we have electric cars far sooner than we see them today because he can synthesize uh, shit. What's it called? Uh, lithium, right? Yeah. Out of thin air. He's he's a uh, what's that? What's that thing called? An, uh, uh, an alchemist, right? Yeah. He can just, you know, he can manipulate atoms. And so there's all this crazy new technology. Um, another but big significant kind of big, big deal thing happens. And Laurie and Dr. Manhattan, they break up because as Manhattan is going through it as his kind of like godlike, he's becoming more and more godlike and less and less of a human. And he just can't relate to Laurie. So they break up. She runs off and essentially moves in with dan Ooh, soap opera Ooh. all right <laughs> okay so that's personal drama inter -pers uh intersexual course yeah. <laughs> i don't know <laughs> but that's kind of the so that's like the setup there that's act one is everybody kind of following along so far yeah. okay so now we get into act two the plot thickener right Dr. The Rue of the plot. The Rue of the plot, exactly. <laughs> you need the flour, you need the cheese, you got to melt it with the butter. It's going to be good. Mm -hmm. You put it on the macaroni. You put it Mwah! on the macaroni. In this the case, the flour is Vietnam and yeah. the <laughs> butter is Richard Nixon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually. Yeah. 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 It's pretty, it's, that's bad. It's bad. It gets bad, you know, <laughs> or US versus USSR. Let's see what happens, right? Um, so Dr. Manhattan is grilled on live television uh, about uh, previous associates with him who all seemingly happen to have cancer. So he exiles himself, Dr. Manhattan, that is to Mars because he just can't handle fucking people. He is no longer a people. So he's like, fuck this. I'm going to move to Mars. Bye. And that's mm -hmm. where he reflects upon his past, his present and his future all at the same time, which again, as a little Christian boy at the time of my first reading of this, was too much for me to handle. <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't conceive of like, wait a minute, this guy can just view time as a piece of paper, which kind of plays into the comic book thing. But because you can read the time of the comic book any way you want, you can skip to the end, you can go back and forward and stay on the same page and you kind of get all the information. Um, and then, okay, plot-wise, however, Rorschach, he's still going around. He's playing detective. He's beating up dudes in bars. He's breaking some fingers. And uh, he's trying to find out who the fuck killed Edward Blake. Um, because he discovers that Blake learned something that he should not have learned. But we don't know what. So we're kind of getting a little further as to why at least Blake was killed, but not the who. And also still unsure of who may be next right 
Well, it turns out the person next is Adrian Veidt, Ozymandias, because there is an assassination attempt that occurs at the lob in the lobby of Adrian's um, big office building tower thing in the Trump downtown. Tower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His, his little Trump Tower. So he's downstairs with his secretary. The secretary gets shot instead. And uh, as he proceeds to question the would-be assassin, the assassin bites on a cyanide pill and dies. Okay. Then Rorschach, uh, through all of his scheming and running about, is eventually apprehended by the police. His mask is pulled off. And guess what? It's the guy from the first page with the sign that says the end is nigh. This been the homeless guy the whole time. When I read that the first time, what? blew my fucking mind. Because and that's the brilliancy of comic books. You don't hear the characters. You don't hear yep. what they sound like. So when his mask gets pulled off, which by the way he calls his face. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. bit of parasocial kind of thing going on there. Um, you don't know. You didn't know that it was this guy that you've actually seen a lot of like little scenes with him this entire time. So it fucked me up. It was great. Uh, so yeah. Rorschach is apprehended. He gets thrown in jail. His name is Walter Cohen. And that's the end of Act 2. Following along so far? We're good? Yeah. Okay, cool. Act 3 is the sudden downward spiral. <laughs> this is where the pacing really starts to pick up. Um, Dan and Lori, going back to them now, uh, they decide to engage in some illegal superhero stuff. You know, they, uh, they're like, fuck it, let's put the costumes back on. I'm going to hop in my uh, magic. It's not magic, but, you know, it's the high tech. The owl um, ship owl ship that's yeah. like a big orb that he calls uh artemis i think is it artemis? No, it was archimedes archimedes, archimedes, archimedes. You're right. and uh they fly up the they go into new york city there's a tenement fire and so they rescue everyone from the tenement fire and uh put them on the uh, an adjacent building and this gets them so worked up that they fuck okay uh it's actually explicitly pointed out they just go right the fuck at it. It's pointed out that um, Dan can't get it up without being yep. a superhero. There's, so there's, you know, uh, impotency involved. It's an important detail for sure. It's, yeah. Actually, yeah, it's a very important detail. And this is when uh, the lyrics for Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah appear in the frame, <laughs> right? Because that's, that's what the song is about. <laughs> it was a great amazing. choice. Wait, is that in the movie? That's in the movie. No fucking way. Wait, what? No. Yeah, it is. Hallelujah plays when they when they bang. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. I thought you were joking. No. I haven't seen (laughs) it. Aaron, I wish I was. (laughs) Original Leonard Cohen version or the Jeff Buckley? It's got to be the Jeff Buckley. I think it's the Jeff Buckley. Of course, yeah. I don't. Yeah. Either way, that's terrible. Oh my god! Wow. The only thing I like about not sorry to to derail for a bit. The only I think the only effective thing in the Zack Snyder movie is it is the only good use of Billy Crudup in a movie as casting him as he's the guy who plays Osterman in Manhattan because he is casting him as a disassociated, apathetic, weird man (laughs) is the only good use of Billy Crudup. Sure. I guess that's the only thing I've seen him in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's oh. in Big Fish too. Oh, right. And like everything he does, aside from the last, I like, have that few on tape. Scenes, yeah. Uh-huh. Aside from the last few scenes, he's just like off. And there's some interview where he's talking about, like, yeah, I try to find the weirdest line reading for <laughs> everything that I meant. It's like, but why? <laughs> but why, Billy? <laughs> anyway. Well, it is a uh, Tim. Tim Burton. Burton. <laughs> Thank you. Yep. 
film. So yeah, I like that movie a lot. It is great. It's it's yeah. probably Burton's last good movie. Yeah, yeah. You know, I have it on tape. Like I said, great um, fucking movie though. It's a great movie. It's a great mm-hmm. movie. Okay, so yeah, Dan and Lori they do illegal superhero shit. Shit, excuse me. They bang on the ship, and immediately, you know, when you finish having sex for the first time with somebody, you usually there's some pillow talk and blah blah blah. No, what Dan says is. Let's break Rorschach out of prison. So not the most gentle. Going back fella. into the whole like he that's that's this the whole only superhero thing is the thing only thing that, that makes him, him feel yeah. like a man. Like I guess. a man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. So anyway, so they decide to break Rorschach out of prison and then they do. Rorschach uh, is broken out of prison. Dr. Manhattan uh, suddenly reappears from Mars and he's like, hey, Lori, come back with me to Mars. And so Dan and Rorschach. They're like, okay, fuck, you know, we used to be partners. Let's do it up. Let's do it again. Uh, they get the hell out of New York. Okay. This um, is after Rorschach appears in Dan's apartment to just eat his beans, right? This is long after that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a yep. great scene with that. It's <laughs> like, Dan's like, you sure you don't want me to heat those up? Rorschach's like, cold's fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> just eating cold beans, stealing <laughs> sugar cubes. That's a fucking lunatic. Anyway, so, so okay. Prison break, Dan brings Rorschach back to his house, which the police have already come and kind of asked him about, hey, do you know anything about this Rorschach guy? And Dan's like, no. Uh, so they have, they avoid a capture by the police. Um, Lori and Dr. Manhattan go over, go, they fuck off to Mars. And it's on Mars that Dan and Lori have a very kind of serious discussion of the fate of humanity and, you know, Dr. Manhattan's like, well, who gives a shit? And Lori's like, well, I kind of fucking do because I'm a human and you're not anymore. And it's through this talking and this back and forth because, oh, the other big thing, of course, is now that Dr. Manhattan has fucked off to Mars, uh, the USSR is getting kind of antsy with the little with the nuclear launch button there. They're saying part of the thing was Manhattan was being used as a nuclear deterrent. As a nuclear deterrent. I mean, he yep. he killed the commies in Vietnam. Yep. What's stopping him from doing it to the Soviets, right? And yep. so now that he's gone, uh, it's well, actually, it's never directly stated because we don't see the USSR actually make any kind of statement of this. Yep. The thing that happens is they invade uh, Afghanistan instead of uh, anything else. And so there's like, everyone's twitchy, like, shit. Uh, the Soviets are in Afghanistan. Uh, they're probably going to nuke us. We should try to nuke them first. You know, mutual destruction. So, mutually anyway, assured destruction. Mutually assured destruction. So yeah, so that's what's happening. And <clears throat> Lori, Dr. Manhattan, button heads. And it's during this that Lori somehow comes to the conclusion, realizes that Eddie Blake, the comedian, is her dad. So this fucks her up even more than anything else that's going on i mean he's like the worst dude he uh the comedian had also you know he uh assaulted sexually Lori's mom at one point and so it's then revealed like wait a minute he actually went back and Lori's mom consent consented to sleeping with eddie and that's where Lori comes from. So there's all these fucked up emotions like, wait, 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 your would-be rapist is, you know, you just let him into your house and into your body. And that's where I come from. What the fuck is going on? You know, so it's all this tension. It's just tension. This is where all the tension happens. And then that's where we end with act three and we get into act four. We good? Yep. Following along? Okay. Yeah. Yes. That was. Yeah. Well, was I have a, a, qu- I have a comment about. 
um like dr manhattan's like change of heart but i wonder if you're gonna get into it like no you know no by all like, means why ask. why does that revelation of her finding out about her true father suddenly make him care about humanity and like want to save that's a great question so what manhattan comes to the conclusion is that life the the simple act of procreation itself and creating life through that act is essentially magical um there are so many factors involved in not allowing that to happen um everything from you know the maybe the sperm doesn't reach the egg and die so much can There's go wrong infertility there's so much that can go wrong that it is in fact like kind of it is miraculous that people are able to have children and create life and sustain life the way that it is uh and so he's like you know what Lori, you've convinced me even though you're having this extremely traumatic episode where you <laughs> discovered that your mom's would-be rapist is your dad um let's bring you back to earth you're right i'm not gonna i'm not gonna fuck off and fix things also there is an element too of curiosity with dr manhattan because as he's been reflecting on mars on not only his past but his future he can't see beyond a certain point it's all static to him and so and it's after the static occurs after his argument and uh conversation with lori so another big part of it is he doesn't know what's going to happen to him so he wants to see because mm-hmm. up to yeah. this point that's never happened to him before he knows exactly what's going to happen to him every second as it as it's occurring right okay. um so yeah he's like let's see what let's see what's going on so <laughs> Yeah, so it's kind of a double element there. So she argues for humanity, he agrees, and he's also just plain curious because he's a scientist, right? So any other questions so far? I I want to slow down a bit. No, for that? Okay, it's cool. Dope. Okay, okay, okay. Act four, I called the end of the world as we know it. Uh, you feel so, fine? Okay. Not really, not in this book. Okay. <laughs> I left that line out on purpose. Okay. Um so yeah, so this we do this, not feel fine. We do not feel fine. REM is full of shit, man. Yep. So the final act of the book um, begins with Nixon with the nuclear football. As the end of the world in real life begins yeah. with Richard Nixon. Yes, <laughs> exactly. It's very apropos to mm. real life, whether <laughs> Vietnam was conquered or not. Yeah, yeah it's just um, going to take a little while longer. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so they go to DEFCON 2. Everything's looking very, very grim for all of humanity. Uh, Dan and Rorschach, right? They are like, okay, so there's definitely somebody going around trying to kill off all the superheroes. Uh, Rorschach suspects that his being captured by the police was not a coincidence because so the reason he got caught in the first place is because he was going to visit an old supervillain named Moloch. And when he arrived at Moloch's apartment, he discovers Moloch dead and it's pinned the death of Moloch is pinned on Rorschach. So he's like, okay, I obviously didn't kill the guy. I don't know who else would have thought to kill this guy, but it's whoever is going around killing all the superheroes, right? So they decide to go and talk to Adrian because he was the last person who had his life attempt, a kind of attempt on his life. Um, everything's just falling a little too cleanly into place, right? So let's go talk to Adrian. So they arrive and discover that Adrian's not at his, he's, he's not in, in, at his at his office. He's not at his apartment. He's nowhere to be found. And so they're digging around on his desk and they find out that Adrian, okay, 
So it's one minute to midnight. Fingers on the button. Someone's going to fucking shoot some nukes. Better be Nixon. Right? Ahead <laughs> <laughs> of anybody else. Um, Henry Kissinger Dan, is just vibrating in excitement. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. When I saw Kissinger in that movie, I was like, of course he of course he makes an appearance. Why wouldn't he? <laughs> it's surprising that Kissinger is only, I think he's name dropped in the book, but he doesn't make actual people. Yeah. Probably because Moore didn't want his house to get. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Alan Moore didn't want a fishing accident. <laughs> no, absolutely not. It's also probably why Alan Moore has never left his room. <laughs> Um, so it's one minute to midnight. Dan and Rorschach, they discover that Adrian is the mask killer and that he's holed up in, of course, an Antarctic uh, secret base. And so they're like, let's go to the, the South Pole. super villainy shit ever. Exactly. Yep. It's also, interestingly, though, Superman's Fortress of Solitude is oh, in, yeah. in, is in the Antarctic. Right. So he's playing a kind of like parallel there because Ozymandias is supposed to be, you know, a good guy. Right. Yeah. And he's got a cape and he's, you know, very almost godlike, with the exception of not having any superpowers. Um, so, yeah, they go. They're like, let's get him. Let's figure out what the fuck is going on. And this is where we finally get Adrian's origin story. I mean, throughout the entire book, you get in little pieces here and there of everybody's uh, origin um, going as far as explicitly for an entire chapter with solely dedicated to Dr. Manhattan to Eddie, Eddie Blake's uh, kind of chopped up via flashback uh, origin stories and stuff like that. Um, but it's Adrian's... also worth mentioning that everyone else mm. in the book looks super fucking cool. And Ozymandias mm. has the worst fit He's of got like the... any superhero <laughs> of all time. It's which had to be on purpose. Absolutely, yeah. Like He's yeah. got a purple domino mask, <laughs> gold uh, armor up and down his body with a big yeah. purple cape and i think yeah he's got like a little purple skirt thing going on too right? <laughs> yeah I mean, he looks like a fucking high camp roman centurion yeah. it's yes, like yes. it's so so it. well and everyone roman else looks cool <laughs> as shit yeah everyone's got great costumes <laughs> with the exception of dr manhattan who used to wear a pair of like shorts and then he's just like fuck it I don't even feel cold. Why yeah. do I need to hide my shame? Fuck you. So dicks out everywhere, right? All the time. <laughs> yeah. But Adrian looks like a Roman centurion, sort of, or uh actually, as is revealed, his his uh his number one, like um he, he looks up to Alexander the Great. Yeah. Which red flag sus yes yeah Yeah. huge red flag (laughs) anytime Um, anyone's like a big alexander the great guy get as far away as possible yeah um and he's this entire time been devising a way to save the world he thinks that it's not good enough to just fight crime on the street level he's trying to find a way for everybody on the planet to come together and be united but he needs to figure out how to do that first. And so this mask killer thing is kind of, pl- so we're f- very quickly, we're finding out why. In fact, Adrian's telling everybody, Dan and Rorschach rather, all of it. He's just letting it all out. He's saying, hey, guess what? Uh, I killed the comedian because he discovered an island that I bought where I <laughs> was building a giant psychic squid monster <laughs> which i am going to teleport to the middle of fucking downtown new york city and upon its arrival it will explode the psychic brain will send out a shock wave 
uh, to everybody else on the planet that convinces everybody that an entire uh, alien civilization of similar squid monsters is about to invade planet Earth. And we actually, our dimension, which also is planet, because they're interdimensional. And everyone's going to lose their minds, including Nixon and um, what at this point was Gorbachev, right? Yeah. And uh, it'll halt all hostilities around the world because um, three million New Yorkers are about. To. And Dan and Rorschach are like, why did you just show your, we can fight you and stop it. And Adrian retorts, I already did it 30 minutes. <laughs> and it's great. It's beautiful. It's, and it's yeah, like, and what follows yeah. is like the four oh. greatest pages of any comic. Any comic like, book the art is incredible. Yeah. Because what it is exactly, it's four uh 45 degree angle uh shots as it were full full page uh spreads well it's not a spread but anyway and it's splash that's the word yeah four full page splash pages of just destruction death everything uh it, it, it opens up the last chapter of the book with just a full-on shot of this squid monster dead and all these people that were going to this concert dead and across the street, everybody at the diner, dead. Across the street from that, everybody at the taxi company and the news agent, fucking dead. And it, and so everyone And there's dies. a great fucking shot it's, of Madison Square Garden. Yes. Madison with a Square big Garden. band poster on the front. And like Pale the headliner Horse is, is the Pale Horse. And mm -hmm. the opener act is Crystal Knocked. Mm -hmm. And it's just broken glass all up and down the street. And it's bodies. Fucking yeah. Just bodies strewn everywhere. Yeah. In fact, even the two cops, the two detectives at the beginning of the story are at, in that scene and they're just dead. Yeah. One of them's got like his chin <laughs> rested on the cop car while the rest of his body is just like prostrate. It's amazing. And there's just... a shot of a movie theater that's showing the day the earth stood still. Yes. And then yeah. there's Thank uh, you. another one that has look. a movie camera. Uh, uh, newspaper News that just has war right. question mark on it i had yeah. these up in my room for a while oh nice and I, yeah here, just incredible rachel here's yeah the oh, first, wow. that's and the, the clock's at midnight like every detail's is awesome right. yep cool. the clock strikes midnight and there's the tentacle of the squid monster and it's blasting through the fucking buildings oh and, wow yeah. uh, and the whole rest of the, the comic is, is these like nine panel per page things by and yes. large and then like i think this For is the, the first part. time you get like a full like, uh i believe you're right scene after scene of just like a full page which just is full so destruction fucking cool it's amazing that's awesome like yeah, and 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 then to but to find out too within the pages of the book that the evil master plan already happened mm -hmm. like just that fucked me up so much more than than anything else in the book you know like it's just reveal after reveal like it's so good um so where were we oh now dr manhattan and laurie have just arrived on earth to discover this insane scene of death and destruction literally three million new yorkers dead right so he Dr. Manhattan, he's kind of piecing together why he can't see into the future. And it's because they're, I think it was tachyon fields is what he says. It doesn't really matter. Point is, it's some science fiction gobbledygook. And they he did, he follows the trail of the science atoms or whatever <laughs> to the, uh, <laughs> the science particles. The yeah, the science particles um, 
to the uh, to to the uh, Antarctic base where Adrian, Dan, and Rorschach chatting. So they go there, and it's a it's a weird little reunion of the crime busters, the five remaining living ones. That is where Adrian explains. Okay, here's why I did. It. You know, he explains that if he figured that if he could uh, construct this monster, if he could invent this kind of narrative that the world was about to be destroyed by an outside source that internally everybody on planet earth should get along to potentially fight against this outer threat and the logic i mean it kind of makes um and so and and it works this is the big thing is that it actually works and because on one wall is just a bunch of televisions and they're all tuned to the news and it's like reports coming in from New York City, intergalactic monster, three million dead. And the final thing is USSR and the United States have called off any and all war. War is done. War is canceled. They canceled war. And <laughs> Adrian goes, he throws his fists in the air like a kid and he goes, I did it. And it's probably a lot more powerful if I weren't to yell into the mic, but still, the idea. Right? <laughs> he, he goes, yay! Yay! I did it! You know? <laughs> um, and so he explains to them all this shit that, like, if you guys tell, uh, it'll unravel this entire plan, and we're all going to go back to war. So what do you want to do? Rorschach is like, well, I'm dedicated to the truth because that's my personal philosophy which is garbage and so i'm gonna go and i'm gonna tell everybody and but the rest of them are like okay well how are you even gonna do that you can't leave we're on we're in the south pole man we've all agreed to adrian's plan even though it's insane uh we better not tell anybody because the world will descend into just fucking chaos right and so rorschach tries to leave dr manhattan stops him blows off his head with the point of a finger and uh that's that's where that's like where it ends as far as like the strict narrative with the exception of ozymandias doc uh adrian he's uh meditating in a separate room and dr manhattan walks into the room to kind of chat with him and adrian says so what are you gonna do now and dr manhattan's like i like this life thing i think it's cool i'm gonna go somewhere out in space and make my own little i think that might be fun and Adrian's like, all right, good luck, buddy. And then he asks, by the way, did I do it? Did I do the right thing? Was this the right thing to do? And uh, Dr. Manhattan's like, who knows? Probably not. <laughs> you know, uh, There is no such thing as the right thing or the wrong thing. It's just the thing that you did and you have to live with the consequence. And then that ends. He fucks off. Dan and Lori fall asleep after having sex again. You know, they just witnessed the destruction of three million people. Uh, it's the greatest aphrodite. Exactly. <laughs> so they bang, they fall asleep, and then it cuts to, I think it's supposed to be a year later, but it kind of reads as like six months later. It's mm. a very sharp, quick cut to the final la final six. No, it is five to five pages of the book, which is the epilogue. And this kind of liberal utopia now um technology has improved even further um teleportation is kind of going to be quickly becoming a commercial commodity now that adrian has developed it just to send a giant squid monster to kill everybody 
Um, and he establishes his sort of progressive marketing campaign for his line of fragrance, which is now Millennium. Um, Dan and Lori, they're living together under new identities and even new hair color and hairstyles. Uh, they went blonde and Dan grew out this awful mustache. Um, and they, <laughs> yeah, but the, the book ends with Dan and Lori um, visiting Lori's mom, the original Silk Spectre to kind of just give her like a little heads up. Hey, we're okay. Everything's fine. Merry Christmas, by the way, because this ends on Christmas. A Briton, <laughs> an Englishman. <written. laughs> and uh, they, you know, they kind of scamper off like, okay, well, we're going to go back into hiding now. And they kind of have like a little aside. And Dan's like, what do you think about doing some more superhero? And Lori's like, yeah, cool. But this time I'm going to carry it because it's to imply that she's kind of taking up now the comedian model of superhero as opposed to the Silk Spectre uh, model. Um, <laughs> and we finally get to the last two pages of the book where um, there's this in throughout the entire series, this is right wing um, newspaper rag called the New Frontiersman, NF National Front. It was this whole thing in England. Yeah. And so it's more significant probably to Alan Moore than it was to American readers, but all the same. New Frontiersman, extreme right wing, potentially neo-Nazi, but it's never explicitly stated uh, that they are such. They're like a bright light, you know, yeah. kind of thing. So they're struggling to run a new piece because uh, the head editor, the editor in chief is really not into this whole Russia being cool thing. You know, he's not into it. He's not into the liberal, like the hyper neoliberal utopia that everyone now lives in. He's not into the making friends with Russia thing. And so he's just like trying to figure out what to put in his fucking newspaper. And so he sends off his one assistant. I mean, this newspaper, as it were, is run by two guys, uh, the editor and the assistant. He tells the assistant, you know what? Find just find something in the slush pile to put into the end of the fucking paper, please, while I eat my stupid hamburger. The assistant is wearing a t-shirt with a yellow smiley face, and he's also eating. And as he takes a bite, a dollop of ketchup splashes onto the smiley face at 11 o'clock, and he reaches for the slush pile, inside of which is Rorschach's journal, which details the entire fucking thing. And the book ends with, the phrase, uh, oh shit, I have to look it up. It ends with, I leave it entirely in your hand. Implying, mm. well, we'll get into the announcement, but that's where we end. The end, I guess, of the book. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's very character heavy. It's very plot driven, but there's a lot going on. And I think we need a little <laughs> bit in part four. E. <laughs> This is, mm. I told you this is long. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm sorry. I yeah. hope there's a way to chop it up somehow in post. But, uh, well, yeah. it, I mean, do we want to do that? Do we want to like have a bit that's like an end and then we can do this in two episodes? I mean, it's up to you. You're the shark. What do you think? And I Rachel. Know, we can see once we get the audio. Yeah. I'm not really sure what you mean. Have a, like record a and then we'll get to it in the next episode and then yeah have a little bit of a break do another intro and split it up into two episodes that we release separately i mean i don't think we need to record something if we get the audio and it's like endlessly long i can just riff on something and okay. end an episode yeah. there 
Okay. <laughs> Shark in the been. editing bay, as <laughs> if Dr. Manhattan is <laughs> saying, no, this is too much. <laughs> I'm going to pop Rorschach's head. Yeah. <laughs> this, this, okay, that, that, that took a fucking hour to get yeah. through that. And that is the yeah. abridged version. Yeah, it's a very know. abridged version. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, the spark oh, notes of Watchmen. This is the spark <laughs> notes for fuck's sake. You talked I, about I, so many things and I was like, I'm not going to mention the paneling of that scene like no, three I times. <laughs> I know. Like it's the best part of the book. Is You the were talking about Manhattan out. in Vietnam and so that panel Barry like, is, where he's one. Yeah. It's very awesome. staring at the door. It's so so good. I, I think he could use a little bit of a break. Yeah, I'm going to piss. Okay. Um, <laughs> but... So I will. Yeah, I'll be. I'll try to keep him short. Okay. All right. All right. Reconvene yeah, in like 10. Yes. Yeah. Shoot me. Shoot a message on signal if I'm not back yeah. yet. Cool. Okay. All right. Yeah. No, that's such a great panel, though. It's so good because it takes up. Because as you like, you were saying, it's a nine panel grid, which mm-hmm. I'm glad you mentioned. Um, <laughs> Because it's significant in and of itself to the story. I'm going to try to pull up that panel. But it takes up one, uh, excuse me, two thirds of the fucking page. Yeah. That's how ex- literally explosive it is. Yeah. Uh... And like just the, the whole paneling of this book is fucking amazing so many times. Yeah. Um, and it, it deserves all the love it gets. But as I was writing like this script, I was thinking, you know, I could make my own podcast where I just or like youtube series where i just talk about each character each issue like every single decision that was ever made and like i could run this fucking thing for like i don't know like how people do a (laughs) rewatch podcast just like page page of the Watchmen. yes yeah exactly Oh, that'd be so much fucking fun yeah i genuinely want to do that and then (laughs) i was also because like so i live in state college pa Mm-hmm. I'm right across the street, essentially from Penn State, and my neighbor is the uh, an English professor. She handles all the PhDs and dissertations and stuff. And I was like, I have my master's degree. I kind of want my PhD. I might do my PhD on fucking Watchmen. <laughs> Watchmen PhD oh, would book. be awesome. It would be amazing, right? Because there's also like, I'm gonna kind of get into it with the rest of the script, but. I was noticing, I mean, I'm not much of a, I didn't study philosophy per se here, mm. but I like kind of, I watch plastic pills on YouTube, you know, <laughs> I got phenomenology of spirit, you yeah. know, I got some Deleuze and Watari and uh, <laughs> Nietzsche and so on, uh, Foucault and shit. So like, mm-hmm. I've been kind of reading on all this stuff since the last time I read this book, which was, you know, again, I was still a Christian and I'm like, wait a minute, like each character is like a separate ontology, a separate philosophy. And I could really, really, really get into it. And I'm going to like touch upon it a little bit in the rest of the script, but like, you know, I could dedicate an entire episode of something to just Dr. Manhattan, what he thinks about the world, why he thinks about the world this way. Uh, Philosophers who have discussed things like determinism and such that could like really just stretch it the fuck out. Yeah. And like, you know, there no, and a, I mean the Doctor Manhattan episode. If you were doing something like that, would take forever because it like is yeah. everything from nihilism to Calvinism. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there Great. It is. Fuck it. One of the if, coolest pages. Yeah. So. I don't good. know if Rachel is still in the chat, but <laughs> that's the destruction of Vietnam and oh. one in two thirds yeah. of a fucking page. Okay. Yeah, it's amazing. Book. It's such a good book. Yes, I guess. Fuck you. 
<laughs> There's no Batman and Watchmen. That's actually a point that I wrote down, and I don't know if you read it, but that's not no. I, I read the uh, Alan Moore quote about about Batman. Well, yeah, yeah. There are going to be a lot of Alan Moore quotes. Alan Moore's coming great. up. He's fantastic. He's wonderful. Um, My favorite Alan Moore quote is that one time someone was like, why are you a wizard? And he was like, it seemed like the natural end of my artistic career. (laughs) (laughs) He already had the beard. Yeah, I'm going like you as you all can yeah. see. I'm going for it too. I got the long hair. It's getting there. I'm getting you'll getting you'll very get Moory, the wizard of Saint uh, State College. I mean, the wizard of Central Pennsylvania. Ooh, redacted Pennsylvania. There you go. Redacted <laughs> Pennsylvania. <laughs> I don't actually care if people know where I'm at, but okay. Part four: Who watches the Watchmen? Let's talk about character because, as you probably guessed from my very long plot synopsis it's a very character heavy book um of which i only spoke about six and there are way more than that there's yep. a whole original superhero crew from the 40s i discussed you know um Lori's mom who was the original silk specter there's also an original night owl and so on there are also there's an entire kind of greek chorus of different characters mm-hmm. that just of New Yorkers who just inhabit the world that Moore created for this book. So, but suffice to say, let's talk about the six main subjects of Watchmen. Uh, but before I get into that, I wanted to know what you might have thought of the story and or the characters, particularly from Aaron and Rachel, who haven't read the book. No, I read the book. Oh, you have? Well, oh, yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to hear, I just want to know what y'all may um, have guessed or like how, how you interpret these characters, like who they are. So I suppose real quick, I'll just run down the character list again. Is that cool? Sure. We got Rorschach, AKA Walter Kovacs. He's the detective. He's smelly and he wears a mask that he calls his face. We have Dan Drybird. He's an inventor, a bird man guy who you know studies birds and is a bird in his superhero persona of night owl we've got dr manhattan aka john osterman who was a former nuclear physicist who then became a blue god man um edward blake the comedian who uh is not terribly funny and likes to shoot vietnamese people and we got adrian Vite, supposedly the smartest man in the world also one of the strongest like regular type humans in the world he's a gymnast and stuff he's a uh, wait he's like a business owner he owns like several multinational corporations and he goes by ozymandias and then lastly Lori jupiter Juspechik. i'm gonna again Lori, write in let us know uh, please tell me how the hell to say it um and she's dr manhattan's girlfriend the original silk specter's daughter blake's daughter so that's who we got. So, uh, yeah. Uh, what do y'all think about Rorschach? Let's talk about him. No, you're going to go individually. Though. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Actually, no. How about this? Let's just start with what do we think about all of them collectively without, you know, just based on... The seven-hour episode. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I really like that it's character-heavy. I think it gives, like everyone you know everyone can latch on to like a different character that they find most interesting or you know like I think it just gives it a lot of depth um but yeah I don't know I don't know I 
found like Rorschach's character very interesting one because I was just curious as to how his mask was moving just like all the time I'm like mm-hmm. this is just like a bag what is, I don't know what kind of mask this is but it's moving on its own yeah um it's really weird he worked formerly as like a tailor's assistant and a rich woman wanted a dress made of this weird material that is like plastic on the outside with a layer of ink sort of kind of some goop you know black sci-fi goop in between that and a white um linen behind it okay that makes that's how it moves around yeah (laughs) but yeah it's it's very sci-fi okay yeah and then like the osmandias character is giving like tony stark vibes yes which Mm. is interesting rich um yeah and then i don't know i mean the laurie's character is i mean fine i think it's a very stereotypical (laughs) Uh woman superhero like her main thing is all about you know who she's dating or like you Mm -hmm. know just her focus goes from dr manhattan to uh yeah yeah Yeah. i think that was pretty stable but Mm -hmm. no overall i really like how you can really dive into each one of their backstories um yeah depending on you know interesting but yeah i don't know aaron what do you think uh, yeah, it has been a long time since I've read the book. Um, okay. I think I've only read it a couple of times. Um, but like, I think I I read it after meeting you, so it was like the latter half of my college okay. undergrad bit. Uh, did so I talk I'd already, about it a lot? I think you did. So I like, I I, I figured you know they're all representations of like a different ideology or philosophy kind of yeah. thing, and once you kind of know that as a springboard, it's pretty easy to pick up where all the characters are coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I thought it was a, a great book. Um, <clears throat> and the thing that I, 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 I'm glad you asked this because I, I did what you did and I tried to get all my friends to read it after I did. <laughs> and there was one dude who I've alluded to on this podcast before uh-huh. who read it. I think he finished it in one sitting. And I said, so what'd you think? Wow. And he goes, oh, you're like the comedian. To you? Yeah. And I was like, what? What? <laughs> what? And he identified the most with Rorschach. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, what reasoning did he give classic. for you as the comedian? I, yeah, that doesn't make any fucking sense. He because thought you're it funny? was a nihilist. <laughs> Back then, Aaron really hated Vietnamese children. I really hated <laughs> Vietnamese children, especially women. Yeah. Um, oh my god. Okay. Uh, it was all about sexual assault. Yeah. This is not true. <laughs> Just to clarify for my many many enemies who listen to this podcast. <laughs> um no i don't know i think it was just because i was cynical like well i mean i still am but like more so back then okay um it was a weird thing yeah and i i think you know at the at the time i think i had you know when you when you're young you like to map people you know to different characters and i think it once you kind of grow up a bit yeah and you you grow up a bit and you're like yeah it's it's yeah, especially nerds. And it's like, this I've is had, not a great thing to relate anyone, no, to anyone in this comic. But I've definitely um, had my fair share of conversations where it's like, so which, uh, you yeah, know, character sure. of whatever yeah, yeah. superhero group or whatever are you? But yeah, you know, and then oh, like, as, you, as you get older, you're like, like you that. realize that there are there are things that it's more fun to talk about. And like this one is not so fun no, to try and relate people to. It's not. And there's a um, reason for that. <laughs> yeah. And which I'm gonna bring up soon, but yeah. So it's yeah, I picked up, you know, all these characters are different little philosophical mm-hmm. representations mm-hmm. of any of everyone. And I think mm-hmm. it's 
the thing it, it's a good litmus test to kind of read other people is like their take on yeah. if there is a right character in this yeah. book mm-hmm. and i think you know that that last scene between ozymandias bite and uh dr manhattan sums up a lot of what i like it Yes, kind of started landing on after you know because in grad school and afterward is like, well, is there a right thing in any situation? Like, what? How do you determine what is right? And like, mm-hmm. should you even try to do any of this stuff? You know, and there are no there are no answers to these things, and yada yada yada. Anyway, yeah. to summarize, <laughs> good book, read it. Yeah. Yes. Who of <laughs> us? Who of us though have not decided to end all wars with a giant? That is, you know, it's my goal. Life. Yeah. Yeah, I'm working on it now. Barry By the way, the face, really... the face of the squid yeah. monster is very vaginal. Yeah. I don't know if y'all noticed that. Yeah. Let me, I can show that again, though. But the eyeball is the clitoris. The hmm. uh, mouth is the opening. And uh, yeah, but all it brings is death and destruction and not fun or <laughs> sexual pleasure. Anyway. Hmm. Uh, where is it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh the, yeah. No, wow. Yeah, okay. Is, or is actually the butthole on that. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It's yeah. very it's wow. sexual and yeah. Which and it's like kind of a um interesting choice. A twist on yeah, because you know you're thinking missiles, which are phallic, and mm. then the squid monster is um lady parts. Mm. Interesting stuff. There. Shark. Well, what do you I, think about the? Oh no. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's okay. I was just thinking about Rorschach, like how we wanted to go and tell the world like what actually happened, and you know. Mm-hmm. Like, wh- why would they think that anyone would actually believe him? That's a good point. Like, That's they could have easily point. just let him go, yeah. tell people, and then everyone would have just disregarded everything he says as, like, you know, as a crazy fuck. Just it's let him do it his thing. Yeah. I mean, he'd already been captured by the police. He'd already been imprisoned and then broken out. So whether he shows up with the mask on or off, you know, he's not going to get very far. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I yeah. thought that was just like an interesting like and one of the things that you know you had to gloss over is like this is a guy who has a record mm-hmm. and a strong mm-hmm. history of yeah. severe violence. Yeah, he's and... got an entire chapter slash issue dedicated to him through the um through the lens of the perspective of his psychiatrist, his prison yeah. psychiatrist. And his story fucks up the psychiatrist so badly that it ruins his marriage and yeah. his life. God. It's fucking crazy. Um, yeah, but uh, but yeah, I mean that's a it, it, that is a good little thought thing to go into. Is like, would anyone believe him? And it's like you want to say no, but then you look at a lot of the stuff that gets circulated through. I mean, disinfo who, and social media, and it's like, yeah, who was president of the United States in two thousand sixteen? Exactly. You know, yeah, who's president of the United States now? Yeah. You know, yeah. and even if it's somebody without that level of, I guess, fame or whatever, you're gonna have these kinds of people going back to the greeks fucking crazy uh soapbox type people uh mm-hmm. who are just like you know these prophets or whomever who are shouting like this is what happens this is what happened you know these yeah. conspiracy theorists and like some people will believe people yeah. won't. and he goes yeah. to an outlet let's you know like you said breitbart or alex jones and yes yeah and so does that story get but anyway we're getting a little ahead of ourselves i okay. just wanted Sorry. to find uh it's okay uh, finally... hey, you know what? You know who are you to tell me what to do? <laughs> I don't know. <sighs> Flipping you off now. Um, Shark, what did you think? Uh, of, what do you think of the characters in the book? Like, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I don't. As like someone who's read it a few times, things like that, I don't want to jump the gun on some of the things you're probably going to bring up here. 
But I think the thing that's great about Watchmen is that every character is about like a moral or ethical system taken to an extreme. Yes. And like, it's about, it's like reductio ad absurdum. It's like trying to prove that like any philosophy is stupid at its end point. Yeah. Which I'm a huge proponent of, and I love that about all the characters. But that said, you're a huge Rorschach that. fan. Yeah. Huge Everyone. Rorschach fan. Everyone is. If yeah. there's two he things I correct. love. He was the yeah. only one who was right. Yeah. <laughs> fact, 100% right. No notes. <laughs> there's two things I love. It's people with a strong moral compass who just like to kill other folks. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. My favorite type of person. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, let's dive into it. Uh, I, I do want to touch on like kind of each character individually but very briefly um because shark and aaron you both kind of touched on it like they these characters that Moore wrote he's definitely trying to say something about not just philosophy in general but about how when different people from different backgrounds come together to form a sort of common cause already you're gonna get conflict within that because everybody's bringing in their own interpretation of the world into that common cause and when the common cause is this nebulous idea of justice it's gonna get very fucking messy very fucking quick so we've got again we got these six people the comedian who i've always interpreted as a staunch authoritarian that's kind of his thing but he calls himself the comedian so why do we think that might be because he's the guy with the gun and uh, I didn't mention this earlier, but he's also the guy with the gimp mask uh, on. And That's right. er, previously, he wore a clown suit. Not the makeup, but he wore the suit and a domino mask. Uh, and then later, he goes on with the gimp mask on and uh, fucking Uzis and stuff, and he's blowing people away. So definitely authoritarian, but what do we think the comedian part may kind of represent in terms of the philosophy of this character? I didn't know I was signing up for a seminar class. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could just say it, but I find it's more. No, I think he gives some line if I'm not if I'm right about like his justification for it is like the world. All of this stuff that is going on is meaningless and you have to laugh about it. And why not just take it to this violent extreme and embrace the absurdity of it all? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Which is like itself a misreading of like both nihilism and absurdism, which I think is what like. Alan Moore is poking fun at that like the whole point of either of those philosophical movements is drawing meaning from meaninglessness not like just fully embracing meaninglessness but like yeah I mean it's he's he's every idiot's perception of nihilism for lack of a better word yeah when your college friend read Nietzsche for the first time and now you guys don't talk anymore he's like that guy (laughs) yeah yeah um I, I it's there's a guy who's a couple degrees removed from me socially and mm-hmm. he refers to himself as a nihilist but oh, he doesn't he he his perception is just well i'm just gonna drink my life that sucks because he doesn't have to have a job so he just oh what a drag what a terrible way to read nietzsche <laughs> yeah i don't think he's read nietzsche i think he just That's has heard the term too. nihilism and he just he saw watched... someone smoking outside a bar time. <laughs> yeah like, exactly that was awesome. <laughs> he watched big lebowski and was like i want to be like those german yeah. guys yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah but uh yeah so yeah this kind of twisted uh interpretation of, of absurdism it's stated in the book that he the comedian that is he 
everything that he does is a performance because mm. um and, so he visits Moloch, that supervillain guy, in the middle of the night, and he's drunk and he's crying and he's going, It's a joke, it's all a joke. And but just prior to that, Moloch says, I think this was his last performance. So it's all to him, it's a big show. Life in general is just a big show. And like, why not just make the biggest show by killing as many fucking people as you can under the guidance of the United States? You know, why the fuck not? He's an American. That's what Americans do. Shoot people. Fucking let's go. You know, <laughs> that's so that's kind of how I see the comedian there. Later on in Alan Moore's career, he would write a book called Batman the Killing Joke, which oh, yeah. sort of dives into the background of or a potential background of the Joker. He's yeah. famous character. And Joker says something very similar where it's like everything's a joke. Life is difficult and painful and the only way to escape that pain is to just laugh it off and also murder thousands of people, <laughs> hundreds of thousands of people, however many people the Joker has killed in his time. So that's comedian. Then we go to Rorschach. What do we think about him? Um, I don't think I mentioned yet that he is also very sm- That's like one. That's a big key characterization. It's important. Wants, yeah. It's, I mean, that Moore wanted everybody to know he's a very smelly. He doesn't he doesn't wash. You know, I mean, and he disguises himself as a homeless person um, when he's not fighting crime. There are a number of scenes, in fact, where before you even see Rorschach or a character sees Rorschach in front of them, they smell something first, something yeah. smells. So <laughs> so that's kind of important. So what do we think about this guy without a, this man without a face plays to anybody, anyone? Yeah, for me, like, Rorschach is, I think, like, Rorschach's relationship to, like, right-wing politics is, like, the core mm-hmm. of his character for me, because, mm-hmm. like, yeah. it's this moral code writ large. The idea of, like, mm-hmm. he's this That's downtrodden... That's a that I don't use enough, writ large. <laughs> yeah. He's this, like, downtrodden everyman who invents his own morality to, like, put on the world and just, like, ruins it with it a lot. Yep. And importantly, he invents his own, well, you could say he invents his own persona because, again, he calls the mask his face, but yep. he also just appropriates. He doesn't create Rorschach because Rorschach was already a guy, a clinical psychologist, who yep. developed the inkblot test, which determined whether, you know, I, I forget exactly how it was supposed to work, but you look at the ink blots, and there are, what, nine of them officially and you're supposed to kind of see what's in the ink plan. Yeah. Supposed to kind of tell the the therapist and psychiatrist how the patient is views views the world. So he views the world through through a mask that he's appropriated from another guy, and he doesn't really have any ideas of his own either. He just goes, "This is right. This is wrong, and I punish the wrong." And everything that is right, that I feel is right, is right. And that's it. Yeah. End of story. <clears throat> yeah, there are, there are two touch points for me for Rorschach. One is Travis Bickle mm-hmm. from Taxi Driver, which I think is pretty odd. Like, you read the book, there every time Rorschach is doing a, a monologue, it's basically Bickle's thing as he's driving through Absolutely. New York. Definitely. Um, and then objectivism mm-hmm. through Ayn mm-hmm. Rand. Mm-hmm. Those mm-hmm. are the two mm-hmm. touch points that I always kind of mm-hmm. lean on yep. for Rorschach. That's what I have here. It definitely falls in line with Ayn Rand. Uh, Ayn Rand? Ayn Rand? I think it's Ayn, but who cares? It's Her, 
her welfare co- recipient Anne Rand is the there yes guy. yes <laughs> okay. yeah. famous welfare recipient and shit author Anne Rand. Yeah. Yeah. Con- uh, there's this quote that she's got the concept of man as a heroic being uh, with his own happiness as the moral purpose of his life with productive achievement as his noblest activity and reason as his only absolute and quote that's Rorschach to a T you know yeah um, Rorschach actually if we're gonna go into the background remember the Charlton hmm. comics characters I talked about yep so Ditko, Steve Ditko, uh, co-creator of Spider-Man, he had a character called Mr. A. And Mr. A was an objectivist superhero. The comic book, it was an independent comic, and it was illustrated completely in black and white, specifically to call Mm. back to this black and white thinking of morality and justice. So a lot of Mr. A's comic book, uh, you know, superhero endeavors is to go around and it's a lot of dialogue and caption, just like Rorschach, where it's just him talking to the audience about this is what is right. This is what is wrong. And I punish the wrong and I am always right. Yeah. Also, there's a quote at the end of Rorschach's chapter here from Nietzsche. And it reads, quote, battle not with monsters lest ye become a monster. And if you gaze into the abyss, the abyss gazes also into you. Yeah. Um, Great fucking Nietzsche line. It's a great line. And that often, however, gets interpreted, or I feel misinterpreted, that that Rorschach follows a kind of nihilism, just like the comedian does. But I don't see that as something Rorschach does uh, on his own. I don't think he's like actively calling himself a nihilist. I think mm. Moore is drawing parallels to Nietzsche within that chapter, but I don't think it was necessarily Moore's intent to call Rorschach or rather interpret Rorschach as being a Nile. I don't. Yeah. And I think to like really see how that's working, you have to like understand that like Kant came around in the European philosophy scene and ruled that shit with an iron fist in the way like Aristotle had before him mm-hmm. for like a long time. And then mm-hmm. Nietzsche comes around and he's rejecting Kantian deontology, which is this moral idea that like there are frameworks and so the, like moral frameworks and the good of an action has nothing to do with its results. It's based on whether it's like innately good or bad based on like your moral beliefs beforehand. And so like Nietzsche's like, hey, wait, this is all bullshit. Um, mm-hmm. and Rorschach is like very much a deontologist. He has like these strong, yeah. robust moral frameworks, and he doesn't give a shit about the results of his actions or like the suffering he does on the world. There's like good yeah. or bad. And like the problem with that is that deontology and nihilism, despite being opposites, look pretty much the same in execution. Yeah, they look very, very similar. Yeah. If you believe the world has no meaning or actions themselves have meaning greater than the world you're just killing people for no reason like right yeah and yeah um i don't know i guess i don't have anything else to say i think that kind of just covers it (laughs) right now rachel do you have anything that you wanted to chime in about uh this character this smelly detective man with no with no face no, I don't really have anything to add. I was just Googling deontology to find out what Sharky was talking about. It's but... fucking horrible. Never it's, read time. There, There is a great <laughs> quote from Moore Definitely about meeting, meeting someone who admired Rorschach. Yeah. And basically, <laughs> like... I have a bunch of... I've pulled a bunch of quotes from Moore, but I don't think it's one of these is them. Okay, so, so basically, like, 
Moore was talking about got he he was being interviewed and he was telling the story about how he wanted to make Rorschach as his idea of someone who would really really like Batman yeah as a smelly nerd <laughs> <laughs> and someone comes up to him and says oh I really love Rorschach and Moore says I never want to hear from you again. <laughs> 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 Alan, Alan Moore has very strong stances on the is Batman a cop Twitter discourse <laughs> oh yeah awesome. and yes Batman is a cop yes, um, absolutely. okay so then we get into Night Owl who is sort of presented as like a very boring guy until he puts the suit on and then well, he's this uh, Lothario you know he's yeah. this fucking he, he, he can do anything um, so I don't know. What do y'all think about him? About Dan Dryberg, aka Night Owl Two, the second Night Owl. Yeah, because he also doesn't have any original fucking ideas. Yeah, and I think that's what makes like Night Owl and Silk Spectre kind of hard ones to place in a category. Mm-hmm. Like you, you kind of have to go with like a, a weird, yeah, like a weird psychology read yeah. of these characters as like masculinity and like how. American ideals encourage this kind of behavior of like putting on a persona that is itself a reflection of the ideal of masculinity or whatever. Mm-hmm. And how, if you internalize that to such a big extent that to be, you know, as crass as this is, like, you know, you can't get it up unless you are in this persona that is not you. Right. Well, how it's a crass that... book you can talk. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like <laughs> how that applies how that applies to american culture Mm -hmm. and i think that's that's like the closest (laughs) i can get to like trying to peg night owl as like are you trying to peg night owl but But like trying to slot night owl yeah and and then silk specter into a distinct role a category as yeah because it's like rorschach's comedian is pretty easy right osmondeus is pretty they're all manhattan Mm -hmm. simple ish ish yeah but yeah those two are i mean they're interesting but not like in the text you know right and the impotence thing is definitely i mean it's a big it's a big big deal because there's an entire scene that plays out where dan and laurie are trying to have sex and meanwhile the television is showing a gymnastics performance by adrian veit their former colleague and fellow superhero and so (laughs) Um, he's trying to get it up while meanwhile, fucking Adrian's just like flipping on bars like this. Um, so yeah, Dan's like a weird one, but when I was reading it this time around, um, I noticed something interesting. He owns two buildings in New York. So think of this. He, he, he has purchased one is as a warehouse. It's an old Mm -hmm. warehouse. And the other is his brownstone that he lives in. So he is, he's a, and it's it it's not exactly explicitly stated, but it's very well, you know, in with uh, real estate in New York City, maybe he owns the entire block that he because mm. so his, uh you know, his he's he's modeled after a character called Blue Beetle, who is an inventor. Um, Dan Driver is also an inventor and he's invented all these things, this night owl stuff, including the owl ship, which is like a giant pill shaped flying machine that but it's parked in his basement and he states that the the owl ship it goes down an old subway tunnel and comes out in this ab- abandoned or this unused 
warehouse that he bought a while ago, he says. And he just brushes it off like it's no big deal. When Lori asks him where he even makes his money, he's like, oh, you know, sometimes I, I'll write an article for uh, an ornithologist or an ornithology uh, journal and stuff like this. So what do y'all think of that? He's a New York City property owner. He's an I mean, inventor. The He's a scientist. The implication for me is like he comes from some kind of money. He comes from a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. but like it, yeah, just down the line. <laughs> you get these, you, you you get like on the East Coast, like these very, very blue blood families that yeah. just have this money because maybe they came over originally and just Old got money. land that they've held on to for whatever. Mm -hmm. And so like Dreiberg always hits me as like one of these guys. Yeah. Who, but as an inventor. <clears throat> yeah. So he and Adrian are the wealthy one, right? They're the rich yeah. guy. Adrian is significantly more wealthy than Dan, but Dan is still not terribly, you know, he's not poor by any stretch. Yeah. yeah. Um, there are licensing deals that are mentioned in the comic book. Adrian has made, has a line of action figures and toys, and he also has um, a licensing deal with Dan to make a oh. toy version of the owl ship. It's in one of the, there's like, forgot about that. At the end of one of the issues, there's like, you see all the stuff that's on Adrian's desk. And one of them is like prototypes of this like action figure. So it's also implied that Dan has been kind of selling the night owl thing for a while. So that's about he's that. making okay. some money there. Yeah. But it's not just about the money. The way that I see night owl actually is, the way that he downplays just how well off he is, I think shows that he's a kind of like a classic cynic. Mm. If you think about it. he's trying to lead this like pious, this like virtuous life, but he also doesn't want to show off his wealth, but he does because it's the only way it can, he can get it up. Mm. But he does that by putting on this persona of night owl. So this is how I kind of interpret it. Okay. This this, I like, get that. And that plays into the owl imagery of like the owl being Athena knowledge. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. um, and then on top of that, he also just kind of hangs back and lets the other characters do whatever the fuck they want. And then he'll step in and kind of do his thing every now and again, which brings in the consequentialism that he's kind of, I think, represents as well. Okay. Because there's a scene where Rorschach is going around uh questioning dudes at a bar in a bar and he's like snapping people's fingers and night owl just kind of hangs back and is like okay whatever and he does that throughout the entire course of the comic there's a scene where they're uh he and comedian of all people are um trying to put down like a sort of a, a riot that's going on and night owl is just sitting in his little owl ship and he's like making an announcement over the intercom and meanwhile comedian is on the outside of the ship hanging onto the window and he's got his fucking gun in one hand and he's like about to shoot either with rubber bullets or live ammunition who fucking knows he doesn't fucking care that's for comedian doesn't and neither does night owl i don't think i don't think really yeah. night owl really gives a shit because he's also at the end one of the first if not the first to kind of just give in to adrian's scheme to be like you know yeah fuck it we just won't tell anybody and three million people are dead whatever at least there's no war now i and... mean that's the thing about like both him and silk specter is i think that like everyone else has a vision for the world and they're just like 
they're the fucking like freakonomics guys or like liberal capitalism people. <laughs> yeah. They mm-hmm. like have they think that like minor changes in the way the world works enacted by fucking lunatics <laughs> is like how the world keeps going. And they mm-hmm. have like no vision because of that. Like life's good, they're fine, and they view themselves as good people. And like mm-hmm. that's the end. It's like pure yeah. virtue ethic philosophy. There's like nothing that matters. They also have taken their moral position to a place where it like doesn't affect the world. They're just good people and fuck everything else, which is like absurd. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely how they see themselves. Yeah. Is that, well, we're the good guys because we said so. Yeah. And like look at the costume and and like look at how cultured and smart we are and like how Mm -hmm. ethical we are in our personal lives. And Mm -hmm. they don't interact with the systems at all in a way that's like very liberal. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head there. The one final thing I want to kind of touch on is his reactionism. Um, yeah. Because also very liberal. Yeah. Yeah. Liberal reaction for sure. Because his, okay. He, he's the second night owl, right? He hangs out on a weekly basis, I believe with the original night owl and drinks beers with him. And they talk about the good old day. So mm-hmm. that's, that's that reaction there of like, if only I could bring the good old days back. And so he's doing that as his version of Night Owl, as his version of being a good superhero, of being a champion of justice, is to kind of try to bring in this like now obsolete view of how the world ought to be. And really just using all of his wealth and all of his privilege and power to do. So that's how I see the Night yep. Owl. He's not a good. Hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Um, And yeah, and again, this is all stuff I only just kind of picked up on while reading it this time around. But I already, I, you know, I always knew that there was something to all these characters that Mm -hmm. is more than just the big bombastic ones. Rorschach, Ozymandias, Comedian, Dr. Manhattan. It was like, there's something else about Dan and Lori that I hadn't (laughs) quite, I was trying to figure it out. And I think I figured it out. Silk Spectre, Lori, I think is a liberty. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate that the, the quote only female character in the book is libertarian, but, uh, this is all coming to a point that I'm getting to eventually with all these people. Um, but even if you like her, her, uh, her costume is yellow in this step. I had not, oh, I had not true. thought about Anne Cap stuff with, she, yeah, yeah. Which more would be super aware of. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a famous photograph of Alan Moore wearing a red t-shirt with a black uh sickle and hammer and sickle uh that with the sleeves off and that's like one of his like old author photos that mm. he would put into the ends of his <laughs> of his books um so he knows i mean he's yeah very very well aware of um i guess otherwise niche uh political philosophies and so you know having now it's also interesting to note that dave gibbons has gone on record saying he didn't always agree with what Moore was wanted to say with his character, which I take to understand as politically Gibbons and Moore are very different. I don't know how much, um, but I just think that they. But well, Gibbons has also been more willing to license things out yeah. to DC, right? Yes, he's the yes. one. He's really the one. He's he's kind of cashing. Yeah, John Higgins, the colorist, not so much, yeah. which is unfortunate. Um, but without getting too much further into that. Yeah, she's got the black and yellow outfit. She's the daughter of a famous person, the original Silk Spectre who went by Sally Jupiter. 
by the way. She wouldn't, because it was wartime. It was the Second World War. She didn't want to reveal that she was Polish. So she changed her. Lori later changes it back to Juspecic. Always a wacky one to say. Um, but it's also interesting to know, and Rachel, you pointed out that Lori is always in, uh, she's always talked about in relation to someone else, whether it's her mom, uh, her lover, or, well, yeah, her parents are her lover you know, whoever that may be, Dr. Manhattan, Night Owl or whatever. Um, and so I think that is meant to kind of point out her desire for personal and individual liberty at all costs to the point where she's willing to step into in, in between mm. nuclear war to carve out her her identity. And I think ultimately the book overall is about identity than anything. What do you think about that? <laughs> yeah i'd buy it yeah you buy it I, yeah I, again it's been a long time since i've read this book and i really should yeah. have read it again recently but yeah no yeah, that makes cause... that makes a lot more sense because again like what i was saying earlier like i i can't i wasn't clicking with like what these two were trying to slot in and yeah no that makes mm -hmm. a lot of sense yep and then lastly you know with that conversation she has with Dr. Manhattan, she, of course, also kind of represents humanism, the philosophical belief in the human, but in that sort of liberal kind of way where, you know, advancements in technology, rationalism, et cetera, mm -hmm. um, the Renaissance kind of humanism that everything is, we're the only most, you know, we're the most important people. We're the only most important thing. And uh, by on the basis that she is put up in contrast against Dr. Manhattan, who is called God, um, I think that really kind of works its way into the text a lot in that she's um, she's anti-theist, of mm. course, even though she's sleeping with God in a lot of ways. And I think it's, there's something there about like her being the byproduct of like a kind, good-hearted person and a nihilist. Yeah. That like is very libertarian. And very mm -hmm. like humanist in a way that's detached to an unpleasant degree. Yeah, mm. I lost sense. my note on that, but yeah, you picked it up, so thank you. Um, oh, and yeah, here's one other thing: she completely ignores like material analysis in favor of her like personal emotion. She's driven solely by emotion, and no matter what happens in the text or outside of it, you know, based on implication, she doesn't fucking care. It's all about her. And what she can get mm. and how she can carve out herself in this world that has been uh, that that more created. Yeah. And then so then we can move on very quickly to Dr. Manhattan. He's a determinist, obviously. Everything is just lined up. Determinism is, mm. you know, whatever is going to happen will happen no matter what. And that's just the way it ought to be. And nobody should worry or think about anything or have any emotion about any of that at all. Um, you know, if, uh, you know, eh, so I drove somebody over with my car, nothing I can do about it. It was going to happen. It was fate. You know, he cannot and or will not um, alter his actions against what is predicted even though he probably could. And it's pointed out by the comedian earlier in the book where it's the scene in Vietnam where a woman comes up to Edward and she's pregnant and she says, it's your baby. And he's like, no, it fucking isn't. And he shoots her in the stomach and kills her and the baby. And so he, but meanwhile, Dr. Manhattan is kind of just standing in the background and he says, Edward, don't. And then bang, 
you know he doesn't bother to intervene at all even though he's mm -hmm. saying hey you shouldn't do this mm -hmm. and eddie pipes up pipes in and he goes you know you could have stopped me you could have turned this gun into a fucking flower but you didn't mm -hmm. and dr manhattan's like well i couldn't because that's not how it was gonna go down right but it's like that doesn't make any fucking sense this guy who is supposed to be all powerful and he doesn't do anything with that power other than what people tell him to do mm. or what he has determined himself is going to happen regardless the it's interesting that after the destruction of new york city is when he goes into space to create a new universe and create mm -hmm. life himself um and then of yeah. course sorry go ahead oh there's this great thing like the enlightenment's happening we're getting really smart we're learning i mean we're getting really dumb we're learning a lot <laughs> of like new things about how the world works though and there's this scientist and philosopher pierre simon laplace who comes up with this idea that if you could know the position and momentum of every atom in the universe you could Ooh. predict the future perfectly oh it's called laplace's demon and it like plagues people for a while until, and I mean, like philosopher, any smart philosopher is just like, what a dumb fucking thing to say out loud. But um, it, plagues <laughs> the it plagues the scientific community for a while. And mm -hmm. it's not until we get quantum mechanics and like thermodynamic irreversibility mm -hmm. and a couple other things where it's like knowing the material state of the world is not enough to predict mm -hmm. the world. That mm -hmm. like it needs some observational element to affect it yeah and it's just like i think that is like dr manhattan in a nutshell kind of the laplace's demon the idea that like the world doesn't need an that. observer yeah that's yeah. weird because it, it it's especially weird because dr manhattan is supposed to be a, like a nuclear like a physicist yeah right when, and so he knows that the only way to, to make sense of the world is to observe it but yeah. he's so far removed from it at, at the time of the events in the book He's so completely detached that he doesn't even bother observing. He's just going with the flow. Yeah. And the whole point of the end of the book is that like, he actually can't see what's coming, but like chaos theory is true. Mm -hmm. Small changes mm -hmm. in initial conditions create incredibly complex difficulties later on. Yes. Like, and Manhattan kind of breaks it back. Yeah. Yep. There's, I mean, cool. there's elements of like, again kind of quantum mechanics and mm -hmm. that kind of thing but there's i think there's a tie-in to uh sci-fi literature with asimov's foundation series yes which definitely delves into this where you have the premise of it is a guy figures out that you yeah <laughs> you can chart humanity at a broad broad scale and make yeah. set things up to happen in a certain way Yes. And like mm -hmm. a critical aspect of that is that there are individual things that can happen that you cannot predict that right. alter. Yeah, exactly. Um, but then there's also a I think there's a dramatic thing with Manhattan of uh, the defeatism of prophecy. Hmm. Yeah. Go on. It's every time you see prophecy in Greek literature or, or anything, the person reads it and it's just their life falls apart. Oedipus. because if you, yeah. yeah or just in anything like if you or do like or do yeah 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 paul getting the, the, the prescience prescience and failing to understand that there are ways that you can change things to go into a path that is not seen yeah mm -hmm. but because you are stuck in this mentality of you you now have access to the future 
there are only set things that you can right and i think there's there's the literary read for manhattan there's a scientific read of like you know quantum mechanics and like things get weird you can never really (laughs) be sure where Mm -hmm. electrons are even if you're observing them at the moment you don't know where they're going to be the double split double split you know light is a both a particle and a wave Mm -hmm. all all sorts of weird shit that and what the hell is gravity (laughs) but you know it's just things acting on other things but you don't know how sometimes what's a mag what's magnet how do they work is it an atom do we yeah. have magnet particles yeah and like uh, manhattan is the one that i think is the most so many questions fun to think about and in all of these characters because of yes like, he's absolutely the most you fun. know again like we were talking about before we started uh like i like nolan christopher nolan a lot because like the themes Ugh. of his movies are the things How that i like thinking about dare like, and, you compare these I, two things no i mean because <laughs> shut the fuck up because like so much of the thing themes of like time and relations and everything that pop memory in his movies are things that i like call it mm-hmm. mulling over and find interesting in sci-fi mm-hmm. and yeah. more is exploring that along with determinism and all of that yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, Manhattan's super interesting. We could shit. I could do an entire podcast series just on this one character, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we'll move on. Yeah. Lastly, we have Ozzy Mandius, aka Adrian Veidt. Um, I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. Giant fucking neoliberal. That, oh yeah. That, he yeah. is neoliberalism. Yeah. He Utilitarianism. Is, and, yep. Yeah. Utilitarianism. I mean. Th- just oh, everyone in the room in 2002 when they were deciding whether to bomb a rock. Just like all of the <laughs> fucking people. Yep. Where He's an Aaron at? Sorkin character. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, He's an Aaron some... Sorkin character where Aaron Sorkin gets the end and was like, was he really that bad all along? <laughs> you know, he's what Kissinger wants to be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, if Kissinger was a hot dude. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> a, t- a tall, hot dude with. Well, he's already got money, but you know. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Uh, or at least also with, very goyish, unlike Kissing. Who? Adrian? Yeah. No. Yeah. No. He's German. Goyish. German. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I thought yeah. he said something. Sorry. I got stupid for a second. <laughs> uh, cut that. Cut that. Cut that. Cut that. Cut that. Hey, uh, repeat that three times. Amplify it each time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. No, absolutely. Sorry. Yeah, I got yeah. confused there. But yes, um, very, very, very. Uh, in fact, Adrian rhymes with area he's yeah yeah, it's very close blue eyed well it's a soft rhyme yeah but yeah um blue eyed blonde hair he comes from germany uh he was apparently so advanced in his school that uh you know he was just smarter than all the other kids so they just let him like uh graduate earlier i think it's implied that he graduated by uh, high school um when he was like 15 16 years old something like that and he goes on his like bullshit little soul seek uh, journey thing throughout he literally follows this is how much of an alexander the great stan he is he follows alexander the great's right. footsteps to the letter so he follows that like every like every fucking move that alexander the great ever made he follows that all the way to the end and that's when he decides to become a superhero that's when he yeah. decides to save the um and of course every you know alexander precursor for imperialism precursor for fascism precursor for pretty much every bad thing uh we can think of in terms of geopolitics and the, the military the industrial complex fuck the greeks i'm just kidding <laughs> i'm sorry i'm canadian i can say it i can say whatever i want 
<laughs> yeah, you can. You guys are the the world's greatest. We're, we're the so. sweetest people ever. <laughs> yeah, the world. <laughs> um. So yeah, I, I just wanted to get kind of Ozzy Mandy's out of the way, unless anybody has anything else to say. Also, oh. the point of the character being that he doesn't actually know a lot about Alexander the Great. But oh, yeah. Like, yeah, but like these guys are dealing with like a hyperbolic image of actually a really complicated dude. They just cherry pick the best out of like all of these fucking assholes. Caesar mm-hmm. guys, Alexander guys, yep. Napoleon yep. guys. They all need to be shot into the sun. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Adrian clearly has only read the, as you kind of touched on, the, the, the best parts of Alexander's life. Not any of the, you know, yeah. uh, what is it? History is uh, written by the victors. You know, yeah. there's uh, I've been getting into the history of of my my uh, ethnic people, the English uh, lately. Sorry. Um, but, uh, you know, when there's uh, there's there are old Roman accounts of the pick. Right. Mm. Uh, and they're and the Druids as, as well. And they're depicted as um, these, you know, barbarians who who are like super into human sacrifice and all this shit. And it's like, well, since we don't have written record from the Brythons or the Picts or the Druids, we never we're not going to actually know if that's accurate. But it probably isn't because that shit was written to um, uh, it was propaganda. You You tell me that Caesar was not an objective observer. Absolutely. What? That's exactly what I'm saying. Precisely. But he was a great man. He was a great piece of shit. Fucking he was a raw giant. Times. He was a great man. Giant turd. If you ever are in a classics <laughs> program and you're talking about the Celts and someone will be like, but in Caesar's history of the Gallic, uh, you're like, shut the fuck, shut the fuck up. up. You know what? Yeah, How about re- in, oh shit, I don't know the name of the guy anymore, but uh, Asterix, yeah. the, the I- Friend, the Franco-Belgian comic strip Asterix. Mm-hmm. It's fucking great. Where he's like Vikings, Gauls, and shit, and are fighting the, the Romans are all a bunch of. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> reading fucking Caesar on the Gauls and the Celts is like reading Hitler's Torah analysis. Yes. It's just like the fucking dumbest. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. Ugh. So obviously Adrian's like into that interpretation of Alexander. Yeah. Where yeah. it's like you know he's he's bought into the propaganda. Um. And real fast, have you heard of this thing? It's kind of a newer term, effective altruism. Oh, fuck yeah. those people. Yeah, Rachel, yeah, are you familiar? We, we need yeah. it. Uh, Can I just uh, remind me of the definition? But I have heard of it. So it's essentially the, it's trying to maximize the sort of good that you can do uh, for the world. And that also often leads into acquiring as much capital as possible with the idea yeah. of yeah uh donating a great chunk of it to charity um adrian does this um before he goes on his stupid little trip he his parents pass away and with his inheritance he gives it all the entire inheritance charity as we know now charity isn't exactly a uh oh what's the word good uh <laughs> yeah. method by which to uh aid the world because you never know exactly where that money's going to go and more often than not even though they're supposedly non-profit organizations that run these things um nine times out of ten you get ceos of these non-profits who are just taking in all the fucking cash that they can get yeah they're just like tax havens and that's mm-hmm. where all the yeah and one of the sure. main Don't people pro- call like like um what's his fucking name like uh ezos don't they like talk about him in that way yeah. or talk about whom 
they talk about Bezos. Um, they talk about J.K. Oh, Rowling sorry. is another yes. big one. Yeah. 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 And um, but the poster child for effective altruism, which is very funny, is this guy, Sam Bankman Freed. Oh, fuck that guy. Who did this whole crypto thing that ended up being a scam. And his whole his whole shtick was, I'm going to donate the majority of this money from that I'm getting from crypto uh, to charity, which he ni- neither does nor even uh, really bothers to follow up on in any substantial way because he got arrested for fraud <laughs> and he got put away. But this effective altruism thing is like, it's kind of a newer sort of thing. But Adrian in the book does this by murdering 3 million people to save three, four, five billion. right? It's the concept of stepping over uh, a homeless person who may be dying in the street. And instead of just handing them, you know, 10 bucks or whatever to get a meal, there's step over them to make a deposit in the bank because that deposit is going to go to a charity that's going to give tennis shoes or whatever the fuck to children in Nicaragua or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's yeah. effective altruism. And that's kind of sort of his. Metrics. Yes. <laughs> that's what he's getting mm-hmm. at. So that's all of them. That's, uh, I just kind of wanted to go over that because, um, you know, I think this it's a tapestry of individuality tells me that, uh, again, that Watchmen's main theme is that of identity itself. Tapestry of individuality is my new album coming good out soon. You. Thank good, you. Good for Thank you. you. <laughs> is it going to be black metal or is it going to be Kletzmer? It's going to be Kletzmer. Fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so when the superheroes' identities are endangered in this book, they either give it wholly to the state to be used in war um or they lash out at society or they just go and say forget it i'm okay um rorschach routinely refers to his mask as his face uh dryberg night owl he's impotent without being night owl uh what else summing it up lori goes from the daughter of silk specter to dr manhattan's girlfriend to night owl's girlfriend to the comedian at the end um so yeah so we got all these uh, people and and ultimately they're all vying for some kind of indiv- like control of their identity or they're just letting it go and having somebody do it for them. Mm-hmm. um but now we're going to get into the fun bit of the polyp of it all of the right and those who fail to read it properly but i think first we should get a little bit more insight on who this alan moore guy and what he in part five Whoa, I'm back at you. You didn't see me because this is an audio medium, but I got the the wiggly arms. Like one of those tube dudes. Anyway, uh, yeah, so that is uh, not part four. It kind of is, in a sense. Anyway, uh, our next part, we'll be talking about Alan Moore, as uh, Johnny alluded to in the outro. And uh, on behalf of everyone on the podcast, I would like to say to you, Dear listeners, go take a flying fuck at the moon.